What is SAC now? It changed in 2009. In a perfect world, I would have had a full-time research assistant or two. One of them I would have assigned just to watch the military here. <laughs> so, yeah, let's muddle along here. So, anyway, so in the last show, I was talking about John Ford, the Hollywood director. I hope you caught the joke how he just happened to be there when Japan attacked on Pearl Harbor. Just amazing how these things work out, right? Also, a little bit more information about Alcatraz. Um, I did some more looking into Alcatraz. Um, I mean, some of these shows, I could look into all this stuff and spend weeks and months and get back to you next year on all this, but I'm just trying to keep up as I go along. So, yeah, Alcatraz, you know, they always come up with these absolutely insane stories, okay? They came up with a story about Alcatraz that actually came from the Ice Ages and formed that magnificent island there. The island became a fort, a military prison, and a big-time place for gangsters. <laughs> and I read a couple of funny um, comments. Somebody was talking about, on this show about Alcatraz, where they were talking about the wonders of Alcatraz. Remember, all these people think this is true, right? Well, I used to think it was true. I went on a tour. <laughs> so, I think they get like a million visitors a year. That should tell you something, right? In the money aspect, in the comments on one of these Alcatraz shows, somebody was saying something like that. Um, they were there on the tour, and some old Alcatraz ex-inmate was there signing copies of his book and how great that was. And then the person who actually had done the video commented and said, yeah, when I was there, another... Um, ex-inmate was there signing book. Gee, just imagine that, right? Just imagine that. So anyway, so yeah, Alcatraz, it, it, it's a stage, okay? It, it's a stage out there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when I was there, and I don't know if this is true of all visits, but when I was there, you know, they have those supposedly automatic prison cell doors that open and close that were so revolutionary, right? Well, when I was there, they didn't give us the demonstration of those prison cells opening and closing because they said it wasn't working because on one visit, some of the tourists got locked inside, so they no longer showed that part of the tour. My guess is it just didn't work, okay? <laughs> so, anyhow, and I'll be covering this war stuff for a while here, and then at the end, I found some really fantastic um ways that they communicated what SAC was all about at the time, okay? And they did this through different um, military patches and things like that. As a matter of fact, these patches are so wild that when I was looking at these patches, I actually had to kind of look up twice to see what page I was on because I thought I was on some nut, nuts website with some made-up military patches, right? Because they're so strange. And so, um, actually, I was on the um, SAC website. <laughs> so, anyway, so, um, also, I was talking about the Maxima facility here in the show about uh, Alcatraz because they refer to this U.S. penitentiary as being the other Alcatraz, okay, well, I think Alcatraz was fake, but, you know, use your own thinking, okay? So, um, yeah, so it is called the, uh, it's called a AD Max. 
It's a United States Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility. It is an American federal prison in Fremont County near Florence, Colorado, and is operated by the Federal Bureau of Prisons, a division of the United States Department of Justice, opened in 1994 and is classed as a supermax. I believe it's the only supermax in this country now that Alcatraz <laughs> is only open for tourists. <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah. Um, so that's that on that supermax. Um, also, one other thing here, um, SAC was um, thought of as being um, HARP. I did a show on HARP, H-A-R-P. HARP is how they control, I believe they manipulate the weather using HARP. And if I, speaking of secret regions, this file just ended up being a place where I was putting little odd notes, so <laughs> I'll go through a few of them. Speaking of secret regions, um, you know, HARP is up in the Greenland area up there. If I was thinking they were doing something, I'd be looking up in these areas that nobody can access, okay? So, um... I used to think, I was thinking that um, when I was covering HARP, I remember at the time, because they've been burying, let me start over again. I'm pretty clear about the last 200 years being the way that we've been tricked, okay? Prior to the 200 years, we did in fact exist, but we didn't need things like books, reading, <laughs> borders, <laughs> taxes, money. <laughs> they put all that into play about, I'm still confident it's been about 200 years that we've been totally tricked and deceived, okay? And there's different people that are showing some of this work, and I will be explaining some of it in a bit here, because Andy is far more familiar with it than I am. But this work is now being shown by people who are transgenders themselves. They're also controlled opposition. So there's a lot about this work I'm just now getting to the thinking part about it, okay? Um, because, yes, they did destroy all the magnificent things that we had. And they destroyed them. And I don't want to jump ahead of my skis here because we still have a lot to understand. It's great to know what they did, but let's also keep focused on who they are and what they're doing right now. So that's part of how some of these controlled oppositions work. Get you down that historical rabbit hole and you'll never, ever come out of that deal, okay? They put together videos that are several hours long to explain it. It's major rabbit hole stuff, okay? But along the way, none of them seem to be clear that all these people are psychopaths. None of them are clear that they're, in fact, transgenders. Some of them think the Bible... Anyway, it's just too weedy for right now, okay? But I will get there. Because I remember I used to think, well, earthquakes must be real, right? Remember, I'm from California, and I lived through a few earthquakes there. And... I thought when I was doing some work, I don't know, a couple of years ago about HARP or something, I thought, and then I did a show about it like in this last year, I thought earthquakes must be real. Why did I think they were real? Well, because in the 1900s we had the San Francisco earthquake, right? And um, it wasn't real. And I thought, well, I thought earthquakes must be real. Let me rephrase this. Because... It was before HARP, okay? So I thought, gee, early 1900s, HARP would not be flying those jets around destroying cities and stuff, right, with earthquakes. 
because all the earthquakes and stuff, I believe, go look at my show about HARP, and then you can make your own beliefs that it's all created by them, okay? They do know how to manipulate the weather, create earthquakes and all that. So the earthquake thing actually had me tricked for a little bit because I thought, if this, if the earthquake in San Francisco happened before HARP, then that would make earthquakes real, right? Well, <laughs> not really, because it really wasn't an earthquake that hit San Francisco. It was a major fire and other devastation to destroy old evidence. And that would have been early 1900s. So, yeah. So, there's just a lot to this manipulation, okay? But let's just focus on this right now. And I will get to the building manipulation and what we were and all of that. But we can't really get there until we totally understand <laughs> what this is all about. So, yeah, the earthquake thing, fake, okay? Major fires through places like Chicago that you read about in history, fake. All about them to destroy what we were, okay? So let's get back here to present time and talk about this thing about war. What do we think of when we think of war? Well, blood, sacrifice, war equals young, beautiful, promising creatures, barely out of childhood, Sacrifice on battlefields by old, greedy, cynical, selfish politicians. War equals loss of limb, prosthesis, and post-traumatic stress disorders. What I find interesting is that uh, I was raised around SAC bases, which is Strategic Air Command. Okay? And they are no longer Strategic Air Command. They morphed into something else, and I'll get to <laughs> them in here. So, the mission of SAC, none of it adds up to what the dollars are, okay? So, um, I think it is about sacrifice. And also, in reading some of their views, remember, their lies that they communicate to us are also important to consider. The trick is, don't go rabbit holing down every single one of them and discriminate which lies are important to listen to, right? So, they say that sins cannot be forgiven without a blood sacrifice. And nearly everything is cleansed with blood according to the law. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Do I believe any of that? I don't know. I'm just telling you what they say. And we talked about um, sacrifice is also the act of offering to a deity something precious. The killing of a victim on an altar. Something offered in sacrifice. Destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. Something given up for lost or lost. So, um, yeah, that's what sacrifice means. How does that play into this? Well, that's why we're gathered around here to use those magnificent brains our creator gave us. They came up also with a interesting new name. You know, they have that new Space Force. Uh, that Space Force, money laundering, you got Elon Musk in there and all of that. 
And um, they have a new name for the Space Force because um, the Space Force is to be called Guardians. G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N-S, Guardians. The Space Force will be one year old on 20 December 2020. God, look at all those 20s. 20 December 2020. And Guardians will now serve alongside soldiers of the U.S. Army, sailors of the U.S. Navy, airmen, and women of the U.S. Air Force and U.S. Marine Corps. Now, I'm guessing, without any more intelligence than I can muster up this morning, (laughs) these Guardians are probably the freaks who are not official military with the Musk team, but I don't have the brain power to even be concerned about what that's about. It is a big old fat lie. Okay, so another very odd bit of trivia here. I got a couple of really odd bits of trivia here. Um, in February of 2020, the Department of Defense announced plans to restructure 50 military hospitals and clinics to better support wartime readiness of military personnel and to approve clinical training for medical forces who deploy in support of combat operations around the world. So a lot of the military new money is going into um, medical things, right? wonder why that is. Um, <laughs> and then there was a, speaking of medical, I tried to get this into some sort of order here, okay, because I'm trying to, live without a mouse, but we're only looking at, I don't know, 10 pages here, so this thing isn't going to wander into the out-of-control phase here, so <laughs> just keep paying attention here. So, um, medical. Oh, yeah, I got a story here about the, um, that I had a long time ago. This is an article that Andy sent me, speaking of medical. What is LRMC? Good question. It's one of the top hospitals for organ donations in in its region in Europe. Roughly half of the American military personnel who died at the hospital from combat injuries from 2005 through 2010 were organ donors. Half of them. That was the first year the United States armed forces allowed organs to be donated by military personnel who died at the hospital from wounds suffered in Iraq or Afghanistan. From 2005 through 2010, 34 donated a total of, I guess 34 units or something, 142 organs. Oh, 34 people donated 142 organs, according to Organ Transplant Organization, Deutsch, some German group. Funny it's in Germany, right? Just fascinating that it's in Germany. I don't even know what to do with that one. And um, it's called Transplacation (laughs) Gorse. And let me see. Andy's note was, Gertz is very several to Gasta, which means bad thief, scapegoat from the cross. Gee, I don't know what that means. But these organ transplants, kind of a big deal could be a huge deal uh, I looked into organ transplants so long ago I I'm sure I have a file here um, they do in fact blow out their own kidneys and stuff from the hormones so I think they're getting organs lined up 
because they know that they've got these mistakes coming up. Just like that chin, they figured out they're blowing out their own organs with. So yeah, I wandered around the organ thing for quite a long time. Lots of organs going on, transplants in China where it's cheaper. Uh, they are in fact blowing out their own organs. And also one of my suspicions, and I'm gonna wander here for a minute, with all of this DNA gathering, all of those swabs likely DNA gathering, right? Um, because remember, all the people in the DNA gathering people are very suspect. I mean, the founders of Google's wife, I mean, the guy that used to run the New York Times is up there in Utah running um, Ancestry. <laughs> they were running around getting swabs out of everybody. Um, yeah, so I think part of that may be for transplant reasons, because usually it, it appears like it's something really horrifying, right? People on YouTube are like, they're gathering your DNA to come do... Well, it could be something really simple, right? What about if they're just data mapping us to find out people with rare matches? If you have a rare match blood, you're the person they're going to want if they have a rare match blood. Well, how are they going to find you? Well, just a very simple thing like your blood test, right? I mean, all of our medical records are online now. I mean, mine are. So, yeah. So, yeah, DNA swapping. Um, this stuff doesn't have to be complicated. When you start to engage yourself with something that is appearing so complex, start to pull it back a little bit because that is 100% their pattern to create something highly complicated. So yeah, I think they've been harvesting um, organs for a long time. Um, I'm not going to get into any wild speculation right here in this minute, but yeah, I think that they have had, let's put it this way, they've had a very active interest in our organs, okay? For example, um, in my Oregon file, I still remember that um, Trump Trump met with the kidney donation people, I don't know, like minutes after he got into office, okay? And they were all talking about this kidney thing. So yeah, there's something there. I just haven't had the brain power to completely dive in. But are they using military organs for deception? Well, of course they are. They're just announcing they were doing it. Do I think they were doing it previous to this? Well, of course they were. I mean, do I look like a complete idiot? I may be classified as crazy, but that doesn't mean I'm stupid, okay? So anyway, so we'll get to the rest of the serious part here. What was SAC? Strategic Air Command was both a U.S. Department of Defense, initials DOD. They like those fours, right? Specified Command and a United States Major Comm responsible for the Cold War command and control of two of the three components of the U.S. military strategic nuclear strike force, so-called nuclear triad. So yeah, SAC is a lot of things that they say. Um, you could certainly go to Wikipedia and type up Strategic Air Command Wiki or SAC and Wiki and you will see every time SAC change bases, every time they change names. And SAC was started by our friend Curtis LeMay. So I think that we have covered enough about SAC. So where is SAC now? Well, <laughs> funny you should ask. In 2009, SAC's previous USAF Major Comm role was reactivated and redesigned as the Air Force Global Strike Command. So what you're looking for are these initials. A, F, G, S, C, with Afghan eventually acquiring 
claimancy and control of all U.S. Air Force bomber aircraft and strategic forces. And it is a hot mess what they go through with these lists, okay? So let's assume that AFGCS is where most of this is happening, okay? It went from SAC to here, okay? The And I am going to just give you the overall budget numbers of the Air Force and the Department of Defense. Why won't I break them down? Well, I don't know. You want to have me have a nervous breakdown right here on air? <laughs> First of all, the numbers are all rigged. Second of all, I think that I pretty well have shown you that with Afghanistan and that show that I did there, they are running a tremendous amount of side gigs. How we would ever keep track of the income out of this thing, let alone the expenditures, would be not worth really the effort that I could possibly put into it right this minute. So, um, But there's some interesting things about the budget that I came to my attention, just like blown out of the sky, okay? <laughs> then I'll talk about the Air Force budget of $156 billion is increased. Yeah, every year they get more. Space Force budget is $17.4 billion. Um, so um, it is for, it's for, it prioritizes investment in training programs and takes action to address the difficult challenges of sexual assault, suicide, and disparative treatment of airmen. Okay, um, you want to look for this. The Department of the Air Force Military Personnel, it's called MILPERS, M-I-L-P-E-R-S, if you want to dig this budget further apart. So, it has, they're, they're, they're looking to add additional military force personnel, okay? The main growth driver is attributed to the retention of medical medical personnel, okay? What they're looking for is to increase the medical personnel's retention, okay? So they've already, I just talked about before, they're restructuring uh, military hospitals to, for readiness. And this is another thing I ran across when I was looking at this budget thing to see what it was, you know, what I could understand, right? Um, there was this thing about being a doctor. Being a doctor can be a lucrative and rewarding career. After you're finished paying off those mountains of student loans, uh-oh, something's getting started around here. Let me see. Okay. Joining the Air Force as a doctor lets you come in under its direct commission officer program, which brings you into the rank as captain. My dad retired as a major, but he that was his glass wall was major, and those were the old days. The service is all flipped now. In return for the Air Force helping you pay off student loans and pay up front for additional education, you must commit yourself to serving to the Air Force for a time. So what they're talking about this budget is keeping these creeps in for longer. Um, yeah, a lot about these, because uh, I keep running across doctors who had military background. 
Well, why is that? Because the military is funding their education. Funny how that works, right? And then, let me see here. As a little bit of local flavor, this is a story from someone. He or she said, I was in SAC 1978 to 1980. During that period, the Air Force went from a combat-oriented service to a management-by-objectives mindset. From General Curtis LeMay, father of SAC, to generals who were more cerebral, and as time went by, no World War II pilots in command. I can remember SAC letterhead with zero defects on it. I think peace is our profession. So, But what they said, the slogan was, nuke them till they glow. Anyway, so yeah, it's an interesting tidbit. And I have some really interesting um, mindsets of what they thought about stuff during SAC. So yeah, they said that the uh, Department of Defense this year, $716 billion. Look for the Department of Defense, DOD, fiscal budget. Good luck. It doesn't say anything about all their income, right? We know they make money on the Alcatraz Island. We know we make money here. We know we, you know, they make money on all this. Where does, where does heroin come from? Where does meth come from? <laughs> Out of their pockets. So anyway, so they keep moving along here. Um, they, um, let's, get, let's get to these patches. Let me close up here for now. I think you get the picture. Uh, also, one other note. Um, the U.S. military was involved with um, Operation, um, the uh, vaccine initiative here. Um, Trump initiated the U.S. military. They were in charge with vaccine distribution early on. And that program is no longer going, but the military was involved. And also the people from McKesson, I think it was, was involved in that. Those were the people who blew up the opioid epidemic in this country. Between the military and McKenzie, or I always get McKenzie and McKesson flipped around, but yeah, same people in charge, same players, same game. What really changes, right? Nothing changes. Everything stays the same. Just another new transgender in charge. That's all it is. All it is. So let's get to the fun thing. Sitting here thinking, gee, I hope I have my recording turned on. <laughs> I've been wandering around so far today. Okay, okay, let's get to these patches. This this will give you a glimpse glimpse into the minds of these peoples. Okay, this was on the Strategic Air Command website. Okay, this one patch was called Hearts and Minds. During the Vietnam War, President Johnson proclaimed that his administration's goal was to win the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese people, especially those sympathetic to communist North Vietnam. SAC B-52s were then showering the country with bombs, and this resulted in the slogan being expanded to, when you have them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. The airman eventually realized that SAC was applying the same philosophy to them by not permitting them to transfer from the command and that resulted in this patch. So once you got into SAC, you didn't get out and it was a patch of a 
big hand holding a sack of balls with a penis on it. That was a sack um, uh, patch, okay? Another sack patch is, because, um, yeah, there is something to that sack thing. Um, once they got them in, that you, you just didn't get them in, all the tricks they played recruiting. Another one, to err is human. Sack strived for perfection in everything it did. Men and other commands may have been given a slap on the wrist for a traffic ticket, but Sack maintained if a man is not responsible enough to drive a car, he has no business around nuclear weapons. <laughs> the offender would often be kicked out of the Air Force and tossed off the base by the close of the day. This sundown policy was made possible by issuing a general discharge under Air Force Regulation 39.16. Sack's non-forgiving attitude is reflected in this patch, a version of hearts and minds shown above. And here again, it shows a clawed hand grabbing balls, human balls, testicles, which look like grenades. Because evidently you make a mistake on a sack base and you're out by the sundown policy. Okay, they like these ball squeezing things. I won't tell you all of them. Um, one very interesting one. Okay, um, one was called Peace Baby Peace. Peace Baby Peace was a popular expression amongst the anti-war freaks during Vietnam. That's what they thought of us as anti-war freaks. The V for victory hand sign was used to signal this expression. They, they say that peace thing was V, but I don't believe that. But anyways, some enterprising SAC troop while in the Far East came with the idea to modify the SAC crest and made it a Okinawa swatch, I don't know, grabbing them by the, I don't know. These people have some very strange things. This thing's a little bit too foul to read on air right now, so. Okay. But that was what they thought about us. Okay. Um, yeah, they, um, another one was Manly Man Command was what they called SAC. Some famous group mottos, and I'll close up for today. Peace is our profession. Liberty we defend. Death from above. Win or die. The world's most lethal war fighting team. That would be the 27th Fighter Wing. These are from their divisions. Aim high, fly, fight, win. Here's a good one. Integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do, core values, U.S. Air Force. Yeah, you give yourself up to them, right? One of them was fire from the clouds. They really liked him. And one slogan, seek, attack, destroy. This was a good one from this other squadron. These are just for their different war squadrons. In God we trust, in God we trust, all others we monitor. <laughs> another one from another command group, death on call. That doesn't tell you what these people are all about. Peace through strength. 
the force behind the force. The impossible we do every day. Miracles take a bit longer. I guess we do every day. So um, the group's original motto, war is our profession, peace is our product, proved offensive to some. However, and the slogan was changed to maintaining peace is our profession. They got rid of the first part. The first part was war is our profession, peace is our product. They changed that to maintaining peace is our profession. The Air Force changed the motto once more in 1958 after an artist found there were too many words to paint on a sign. Yes, that always does happen, right? Um, and it just changed it to Strategic Air Command. Um, they have the insignia that won the patch, and it's a nothing. It's a star with some wings and a thing above it. So I think that my conclusion on all this I think that if any of you think that trusting the military is a good idea, well, I would really consider, really consider thinking a little bit more carefully here, okay? Wander around yourself. Go look up the Department of Defense, DOD. Type wiki after that word. Look at all these people. They're not here for good. They never were for good. And I'll get back to the civilization thing about how they destroyed what was ours before, and that's a pretty weedy topic. And there's a lot going on, and we can only bind together and try to continue this conversation because information about what's going on takes a lot of the fear out of this, and really it's been just a big, big deceptive trick for a very long time. But I do stick with my 200 years. could be 150 years they got us. Which actually kind of actually makes things a lot worse because I can tr I've been tracing the history of their hormone use. They're really batting out of the ballpark, okay? And they're going to become unpredictable because of all their drug use. So we have this idea in their mind that these people don't use drugs. I would have to argue that a lot of them are using drugs, okay, beyond the hormones. So. Let's, let's keep our own minds clear and keep watching on what their unpredictable behavior might be in the near future here. So let's stick together. Be safe out there. Goodbye for now. I'm meteorologist Mark Green Cusell, and on this day in weather history, April 18, 1906, a great earthquake shattered San Francisco and the coast of Northern California. The 7.9 quake was fell from Oregon to Los Angeles and inland as far as central Nevada. The earthquake and resulting fire are remembered as one of the worst natural disasters in the history of the United States. Roughly 3,000 were killed, mostly in San Francisco. In Monterey County, the earthquake permanently shifted the course of the Salinas River near its mouth. Although the impact of the quake on San Francisco was the most famous, it also inflicted considerable damage to several other cities, including San Jose and Santa Rosa. The disasters would leave a long-standing and significant impression on the development of California. Over 80% of San Francisco was destroyed. Though the city would rebuild quickly, the disaster diverted trade, industry, and population growth south to Los Angeles. Word reached the rest of the world, and relief efforts poured in, ranging from England, Canada, Standard Oil, and Andrew Carnegie. The overall cost of the disaster was estimated to be around $400 million roughly $10 billion in today's dollars. It was the first natural disaster of its magnitude to be documented by photography and motion picture footage. I'm Mark Mancuso. Hi, I'm the History Guy. 
I have a degree in history and I love history. And if you love history too, this is the channel for you. You might never have heard of Amadeo Pietro Giannini, but you have likely benefited from one of his innovations. Because before A.P. Giannini, much of the world operated much differently than it does today. Born in San Jose, California to immigrant parents in 1870, Giannini left business college at the age of 15 because he thought he could do better out in the real world, and he joined his stepfather's produce business, becoming a produce broker in California's rich Santa Clara Valley. By the age of 31, he had become so successful that he was able to sell his stake in his company to his employees and retire. He hoped to indulge his passions for reading and travel. But in 1902, his father-in-law passed away and left his family an interest in the Columbus Saving and Loan Society, which was a small bank in North Beach, California. And so Giannini was asked to join the bank on its board of directors. But when he got into banking, he was disappointed. He found out that banks really only loaned money to people who were already wealthy and who could provide collateral. Giannini was convinced that working-class Americans could benefit from things like home loans and auto loans and small business loans. And while they weren't wealthy and couldn't provide collateral, he thought that they were generally trustworthy people who could be counted upon to repay their loans. But he was unable to convince the rest of the board of directors of this vision. And so in 1904, he resigned from the board of directors and with some investors started his own bank. He called his new bank the Bank of Italy, and he served those populations that had been previously ignored by banks, in this case largely Italian-American working-class immigrants in San Francisco's North Beach community. He offered this population accounts and loans, and he based his loans not so much on the collateral that they could provide, but on his judgment of their character. And by 1905, his bank had a respectable $700,000 in deposits. In 1906, the great San Francisco earthquake hit, and much of the city was leveled in the initial earthquake and then the fires that came afterwards. Giannini's bank, the Bank of Italy, which was housed in a converted saloon building, took real damage in the earthquake. But before the fires could come, he loaded all the deposits from the vault and the bank records in a wagon and took them out of town to his residence where they would be safe from the fire. He did that in a garbage wagon in order to hide what he was doing to deter thieves. That decision to protect the deposits ended up being monumental. While larger banks had vaults that would protect their deposits in the fire, when a fire burned over one of those vaults, it would be several weeks before it cooled down enough that you could open it, and most of their buildings were destroyed, and so the banks were unable to open. But the destroyed city was in desperate need of capital to rebuild, and because he had protected his deposits and records, Giannini could open up right away. Initially just using two beer barrels and a plank as a desk, he started serving his own depositors and making new loans. Because of the devastation, a lot of things have been destroyed, including people's records and even identification, and so many of those loans Giannini made on nothing but a handshake and a smile, and yet he was very proud to say later that every one of those loans was repaid. And the Bank of Italy played a major and important role in helping to rebuild the city of San Francisco and at the same time increased trust in the community in his bank.
and it was largely because his bank focused on smaller middle-class depositors that the Bank of Italy was able to withstand the 1907 bankers' panic, which caused many other banks to close their doors. Giannini was a pioneer of branch banking in America. He saw it as a way to get closer to the community, to expand the depositor base, and to protect banks from instability. He studied the system that was used in Canada, and so in 1909, when the state of California changed the law and authorized the opening of branch banks, he immediately opened a bank in San Jose. By 1919, the Bank of Italy was the United States' first statewide branch banking system with 28 branches in the state of California. Giannini made his success serving underserved communities like immigrant communities and small businesses. He believed that money should not sit idle and that it should benefit everyone. And his efforts not only greatly impacted growth in the American West, but banking policy. If, for example, you've ever had a monthly repayable home or auto loan, then you have A.P. Giannini to thank for that innovation. Prior to Giannini's vision, banking in America was generally a service that was only offered to the very wealthy. But Giannini himself was not a fan of great wealth. His banks were usually owned by the employees. He often didn't accept a salary, and when he was offered a large bonus one year of over a million dollars, he quickly donated it to the University of California and created the Giannini Foundation of Agricultural Economics. When he passed away in 1949, he left an estate of just $500,000. Now, that was not a small sum at the time, but it was far less than the millions that he could have earned had he wanted to. Money itch is a terrible thing, he was quoted as saying. I've never had that trouble. Giannini's actions affected America in so many ways. For example, his bank bought bonds that allowed the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. He made the loan to Walt Disney that allowed him to make the movie Snow White, the world's first full-length animated motion picture. He helped to develop the California wine industry. In 1939, he made a loan to two inventors who wanted to build oscilloscopes, and they used that money to start a company that originally sold testing equipment. Their names were William Hewitt and Dave Packard, and of course the company today is called HP. And Giannini never forgot his Italian roots. After the Second World War, he arranged loans to help rebuild the destroyed Fiat factories in Italy and rebuild that country's economy. A.P. Giannini's impact on banking for the little guy, on economic development in the West, and on international banking was profound. He is generally recognized as one of the most influential bankers and businessmen of the 20th century. And if his character sounds somewhat familiar, it might be because a director named Frank Capra based a character named George Bailey on A.P. Giannini in the 1946 film, It's a Wonderful Life. And if you're wondering why you've never heard of this Bank of Italy, that might be because in 1930, Giannini merged with another bank in Los Angeles with the goal of creating branches nationwide, and he decided that the other bank's name more fit the new vision. And so since 1930, the Bank of Italy has been known as the Bank of America. You might have heard of that one. And its founder, A.P. Giannini, deserves to be remembered. I'm the History Guy, and I hope you enjoyed this edition of my series, Five Minutes of History, Short Snippets, Forgotten History, five to ten minutes long. And if you did enjoy them, please go ahead and click that thumbs up button that's there on your left. If you have any questions or comments, 
then write them in the comment section and I will be happy to respond. And if you'd like five minutes more of Forgotten History, all you need to do is click the subscribe button, which is there on your right. 